0: Welcome to the Kingdom Life Podcast, where we talk about life with God in His Kingdom. I'm Connie Willems, and today we'll be talking with someone outside of All Saints, Kevin Springer. In the 1980s, Kevin worked with John Wimber to write several books, including Power Healing, Power Evangelism, and Power Points. I wanted to talk with Kevin to find out about his friendship with God— and how God shaped Kevin's life through what Kevin calls big words. Join us as we talk about everything from his first ministry position with a flock of chickens to what it takes to keep going when ministry life gets tough. So I am talking today with Kevin Springer, and welcome, Kevin.
1: Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: I think this is going to be good. Um, just give us a snapshot, if you would. Kind of, a, we're going to talk about some other seasons of your life, but in this season of your life, what makes a really good day for you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. A really good day involves, first of all, the way my wife and I begin every day uh, through prayer uh, individually, and we always pray together and. That's something that's really grown Uh, as I get older. I'm spending more and more time. I'm reminded one time of somebody asked Martin Luther how he's able to pray during uh, when the height of the Reformation was going on. And and he said, where do you find the time to pray? And he said, well, before all this hit, I'd pray an hour a day. But now I pray two hours a day because it's the only way I can get through. (laughs) And for us, uh, prayer has become an intercession. Has become a big issue. That makes for a good day. Another thing that makes for a good day is doing things like this, um, the podcast. Um, I have a number of pastors that I'm, I'm mentoring and encouraging, and uh, it's it's a real blessing. I I love seeing success in other people. It it just it just blesses me, and um, it's something that I'm really committed to. So I support and encourage. Um, other pastors. And then thirdly, uh, we're very fortunate in that we live uh, in a town where all our grandchildren live and our children live. Oh, we do have a son who lives a few miles up the road in Santa Barbara, and we live in Camarillo, which is Ventura area in California along the coast here. And um, so (laughs) it's also really good when we see one of our grandchildren. (laughs) So That's kind of that's kind of our day.
0: That's a good day. Well, I'm glad that we and get. And to- I
1: should add one other thing. I always try to do some writing every day. Mm.
0: Oh, that raises all kind of questions about what you're writing now. But I'm going to let that slide and go somewhere else. Um, you mentioned starting the day with prayer. Can you take us way back, like when you were first knowing who God was or first getting to know God? What was prayer like for you way back? then
1: well um i was raised in the episcopal church and um for the earliest prayer i can remember is what every night my father would lead us would lead me and and my brothers in what we call the our father it's the Mm -hmm. lord's prayer but we called it the our father and so the earliest prayer was uh for me the i still call it the our father in fact, last night, I, as I did every night, I prayed the Our Father, and um, as a boy, it gave me an awareness of the presence of God, of who he is, and how much he cares uh, for us, and um, that that's a sense of intimacy that eventually drove me to turn my life to Christ fully, although I have to tell you, there was never a time that I didn't believe in God, and uh I didn't, I just had a drive in me to want to know him personally. And it was through prayer. I would, the second kind of prayer would be just asking God questions.
0: Huh. When did uh, you start doing that? Do you remember?
1: I was pretty young. Hmm. Uh, first of all, uh, when I was in church in the liturgy and I'd look at the crucifix up front and in communion every week, um, um, uh, uh i would just say god uh, i can see you there and i know i know that jesus is your son but how does all that work i'd ask those kind of questions <laughs> then I got then when i got to be about 10 or 11 uh i there, there i had a palm tree out in front of my house and i started just sitting and looking at it and saying how did this get here how did the canyons get here how did the ball field get here that i play on all the time of the beach that I go to every day you know this whole creation and um, and so I, I would begin to think you know if there I guess you call it the first cause or you know if they, how much 10, 11, 12 year olds comprehend these kind right. of things but yeah. there was an awareness but there was an awareness of God that I I could honestly say I didn't know him as my friend even though I knew I knew in my heart he was good. I didn't know what that meant, and it wasn't until I really personalized my relationship with Christ, although the foundation was laid in the church for me, but um, that personalizing of him, it all flooded me with his love. It flooded me with his intimacy, and from then on, for me, uh, prayer was simply um, talking with God, and what what I've cultivated all my life is for instance, as we're talking right now, I'm also praying, God, what are you doing? What's going on? What, you know, what, what, is, what am I to say to be a blessing to the people that are, that are listening to this podcast and to Connie? And there's a sense, I guess I have to tell you, Connie, I've always had it, um, that I could take anything to him, even when I was mad at him. I knew it was okay. You know, because he was my friend, and so, so this thing, prayer, yeah. But, but let me just say, it's developed for Suzanne and me also in our marriage a much deeper sense of of prayer together and in intercession. But that's another story.
0: I, I kind of want to hear that story, but I'm going to follow this one. That's
1: what, this... Well, let, me just, <laughs> let me just come back to one other thing. The yeah. th- one thing that really bothered me uh, when uh, when I functioned as a pastor. Uh, which, which I was a pastor in several churches and uh, was the busyness of ministry, if I can say it that way, and how so often it crowded out prayer. And and that was something that was a challenge. In fact, I've talked to a lot of pastors who say they have trouble praying because of all this other stuff coming at them. And if there's anything that I had to learn the hard way is, like Luther, it had to go to the top you know, the top of the list. Uh, And um, so I've been trying to cultivate that.
0: So you were a young pastor, and I don't know if you were a church planner at that point, but what helped you cultivate and struggle with prayer even during that season?
1: It was always busyness. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, um, in my 20s, I was in what I call a school of discipleship. I was on staff at a ministry center is patterned off of Labrie and my wife and mm. I were householders. So we had up to 20 students living in. The oh, house. Wow. We had a large house living with us. Uh, we, we rotated meals every third night. We had several householders there. Um, I also was uh, going to seminary during that time. And then we were having children. Uh, Suzanne and I got married our senior year at USC and, uh, and it's by the time we had been married two years, we had our first baby, and so here we are in ministry. We have babies. Uh, we um, we're we're intense together in this ministry. Uh, I'm going to seminary and also doing some campus outreach. Um, this is in Ohio. That no, we're not from Ohio. We ended up. God sort of, uh, I guess he just he placed us there. <laughs> not that we wanted to live in Ohio. Ohio We ended up making great friends that we hold to this day from people from Ohio. Mm. Anyway, God does um, stuff like that. So, yeah, I'd have to say that um, then, then I went out and planted a church when I was 29 years old, I was sent out and uh, as after as their gain and everything. And uh, the first church failed and boy, if that doesn't put you on your knees nothing well. (laughs) We're in Ann Arbor. we were there for a year, but that opened up all kinds of other uh, opportunities in the publishing industry. That's why I think uh, that's why God put us there.
0: I'm going to halt you there for just a second. You're on your knees, a church has failed, and something has happened where you're now able to look back at that season and say, I think I understand what was going on. But at the time, I'm sure you were saying, God, what are you doing?
1: Yeah. um, Well, there are a couple things. Mary Healy, in her commentary on Mark, she talked about Jesus' calling of the four fishermen in Mark 1, and and she said, Following Jesus means a break with the past and a willingness to let go of all other attachments. Not everyone is called literally to abandon their profession or family, but all are called to put everything in second priority to him, saying yes to that call is the first step of a lifelong adventure. And for me, I said yes to the call, went out there and got slammed. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. And I had to learn a lesson that Tim Keller talks about, which is he said many times people think if God has called you to do something, he's promising you success.
0: Yeah. He
1: might might be calling you to fail, to prepare you for something else uh, through the failure. And for me, Uh, Another uh, another opportunity um, was obvious. It it opened up to actually for my first church plant. And but at the same time, he wanted me in writing and publishing in that in that way, too, which was my tent making. And um, so it was a it was a marvelous failure. And through it all, to be honest, my prayers were, God, what's going on here? Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, you know w- w- what's happening? W- why this? And um, and then my second prayer was, well, I don't understand, but I trust you. Mm. And oh. that that's one that that's the kind of prayer that can be tested sometimes, especially when it takes a lot, uh, quite a while to communicate what went on. But interestingly enough, in just writing my memoirs now, I can clearly see what God is doing in the past and my prayers. So a lot of my prayers were just help, help, help. I don't understand uh, why, why is this going on? But I trust you. And I think it's very important for all of us uh, to, to always say, but I trust you,
0: but I trust you. Yeah.
1: But I trust you. And, and, but we can only do that if we know that he's our friend, that, that, that he's all out for us. And that we can take anything to him and uh, he understands and he's got a plan and he's going to work. His providence is always working in our lives.
0: So that was what, 30, 40 years ago now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'd be, well, I was, th- I'm 74 years old, so uh, I was 30. Yeah. And then, so in Michigan, I was involved in church plant and we used to have a guy come over and minister in that church plant by the name of Steve Nicholson. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So when you look, if you now at 74 would look back at that Kevin who was in those help, help, help prayers, what would you say to that Kevin?
1: What would I say to him? Yeah. Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, wow. Um well, I, I probably, I would say to him what John Wimber always uh, used to say, which is, uh, when you're not sure what what your next step is supposed to supposed to be, if you don't get new marching orders, go with your old marching hmm. orders, so the new ones come. So get out of bed and keep and keep moving forward. And um, and when I experience some of the failure, um, there are times where I have trouble getting get out of bed getting out of bed. And that's where my wife really saved me because she would usually come in in the morning, open the shades and said, get up, take a shower, get dressed and get to work. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the way I think for all of us. In other words, um, don't give up. Yeah. We have in the springers, our family and now our daughters and our son and with their children, they all say the same thing. Springers never quit. And, um, that's true. Uh, we and when we get new marching orders, in other words, God's taking us to something new. We're not quitting. We're we're moving forward in what God calls us to. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's great. So that's what I'd say. Don't don't grow weary, or if the scripture would say, don't grow weary in doing good. Keep hanging in there until, but until God says, okay, now this, and that's where that's where intimacy with God is really critical.
0: It's kind of where it gets tested, because if you hit that point and you haven't built up any intimacy, you can crumble with God.
1: Oh, listen! When when I first said um, when I first realized God had a calling on my life, and it was it was a f- confirmed and affirmed, um, and I and I made the decision that I was not going to go to medical school. Uh, the first job. Uh, that I was given in the ministry was uh, taking care on this farm that was this ministry center was I was responsible for tending to a hundred chickens. <laughs> that was my first fly.
0: Oh, welcome to and, the ministry.
1: And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and here's a guy I'm from Malibu and I'm in, uh, and, and but now I'm living in Ohio and the winter's coming <laughs> and I got a hundred and, and, and this is my first job take care of a hundred (laughs) chickens. I can tell you about chickens. They're dirty. Um, they make a mess. You know, it's, it's, it's a mess. What, what can I say? Uh, And, and, and I, and I kept saying, God so here's another prayer. God, what are you doing? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And, uh, you know, I had to learn this is sometimes exactly the way it's supposed to be. And, uh, you have to learn faithfulness and obedience and trusting God to everything. So uh, it wasn't always easy. I, You know, it, and here's the other issue, I'd say to young leaders. I have seen many, many young, not just young leaders, young believers. This isn't just for leaders. Um, the minute you say yes to God, that's when the battle, battle begins. Mm. And uh, I've really seen this as a pastor. I've had a lot of youth pastors over the years. And, and a great percentage of it, you know, they're, they're just getting going. It's their first call and their first ministry. And and quite a few hit an immediate roadblock challenge, you know, battle, and they quit. And and it's uh, tragic, really. Uh, they don't understand. Uh, if you accept a call to follow Christ, then you enter the battle. So if I can say it again, springers don't quit. And uh, believers, when you have a call in your life, and after all, our heavenly Father, it cost His Son everything and to give us this call that we could serve Him and know Him. Um, as Suzanne would say, "Get up, take a shower, <laughs> get dressed, and get to work." And that's that's what it's all about.
0: Even if it's with the chickens,
1: it will be with the chickens. <laughs> that's the point. At one point or another. Uh, it will be with the ch- Oh, I I did have to get a little part time job. My first part time job in Mansfield, I worked at Montgomery w- Ward selling lawn and garden equipment. So I get a bonus in December and January. Now let me tell you, December and January is not a time when people buy lawn and garden. Equipment. <laughs> <laughs> so that lasted a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it's kind of funny. You look back on it and it's hilarious. And you uh, realize it's a test. It's a test.
0: Yeah. It, yeah.
1: It, you're going to be tested in the Christian life. When you say yes to God for anything, and he's your friend, and, and the first thing that friend does is he's going to test you. In my particular case, again, if I can share a story, uh, in Ohio there, uh, we said, okay, uh, we'll come on staff here. Uh, at at this Labrie Center. And we don't have two nickels to rub together. And the only reason we landed there is because we ran out of money. We were moving from Maine back to California, ran out of money. And I said, there's no way, no how, am I going to my father or Suzanne's father and asking for money? That's just not going to happen. So uh, we're there, and then we get this calling on our lives. And so I go in and transfer our auto insurance at a State Farm office. And I noticed... Uh, the, the guy, when I'm doing the transfer this guy' I'm, uh, the who's the agent is asking me all these personal questions where are you from you know are you married you got children well no but we got one on the way you know uh, uh, where do you go to school blah 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 I noticed there's a white-haired gentleman sitting in, desk, in a desk next to him well the next that night we get a phone call I get a phone call saying I'd like to come out and talk to you and your wife in the morning they go oh, uh, we don't need life insurance. No, this isn't about life insurance. Something else. So he comes out and he says that the agency you were in yesterday, the agent had built up a successful agency. He decided to leave his wife and run away with his secretary to Florida, and the agency is completely sitting there. I'm here to offer you this agency. You are going to make a lot of money, and by the time you're 30, you're going to be wealthy. And um, and the way agencies were set up back then, I knew it was true. I knew about that, that state farm. And so immediately when we said, God will serve you, we have no means of support, immediately we're offered something, you know, financial security. And, and I told him, no, I've got a better offer. I'm sorry. And, of course, the better offer was serving God, being obedient to him, and being paid absolutely nothing, which is what we were paid. And God had to provide, which he did.
0: Yeah. How did you go about both then and now discerning this is a distraction from God's calling rather than God's provision for me in this season?
1: Well, that has to do with prayer and intimacy with God and the fact that uh, John ten twenty seven says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Well, we hear his voice. I hear his voice now there are checkpoints we can talk about that always you know but sometimes you say well how do you know and my answer is i just know because my sheep hear my voice and i know them in other words i i, I love them i died for them i'm, I'm and I, and 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 they follow me and that's why he sent his spirit and and in john 14 he says um it's it's the spirit of truth Jesus said, I'm going to ask the father and he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever. Even what this he doesn't say, this the spirit of lies. He says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. That the fellow that offered me this job, he said, I've never done this ever in my life. I've never offered somebody, you know, a, a full agency with the kind of money I'm offering you ever. And he said, I don't understand this. I do not understand how you can choose serving Christ for nothing over this that we have to offer. And I told him, I said, it's very simple. I didn't use these terms, but but both I knew in my knower, Suzanne knew in her knower. And uh, we moved on. Mm-hmm. There are other temptations, of course, too. Testing is always there. Yeah. Always. You, you've
0: talked in your memoirs that you're in the middle of writing about how God has used what I'm you... i done. I'm done. Oh, way. well, well, congratulations. <laughs> Get
1: ready to, submit to a publisher, yeah. Probably in the next couple of weeks.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but uh-huh. you and your wife have been led through what you guys have called big words from God. What does that mean to you, the big words from God?
1: Well, when we went into lockdown, as I said, we Suzanne said, hot diggity. Uh, that means we can <laughs> minimalize. And I said, what you, you know, she's a disciple of Joshua Becker. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a terrific guy. He's out of Arizona, I think. And uh, his whole thing is uh, minimal, minimalism. And um, one of the things that we had, and we, we've done a lot of minimalizing, but out in our garage up in the rafters, we had 38 boxes of mostly photographs and documents of 50 plus years of marriage. And she said, "We can't leave these; just dump this in our kids." And usually, when that happens, they just go out in the dumpster anyway. Yeah. So, uh, I took I took the photographs, and uh, we have a guest house. And I said, "I call it." We renamed it the Quarantine Center, and um, and I set these photographs out, and I got rid of the blurry ones. And of course, there's a zillion of them. I have no idea who these people are. But as able to organize them and then I saw a pattern coming and, and I realized, okay, um, we sent, spent we get married and and then we spent so much time in Maine. God takes us to Maine how we got there and and, and then we, we uh, go to Ohio and then we go to Michigan and then we're back in in california and in anaheim with john wimber and vineyard then we are out in palm springs planning a church a church and then we're up in ventura area um in i i don't retirement is isn't a good word suzanne likes to call it refocusing we're refocusing our ministry so uh but what led i asked the question Okay, these eras are very clear in our life, and and anybody, by the way, can do this. You can see it, but sometimes you have to kind of lay it out. But what is it that propelled us through each of these different uh, stages or chapters, I can say, of life? In other words, what's the thread uh, that connected the chapters of our life? And it became clear. We realized they were connected by big words. And I define big words as God's voice, rooted in an intimate relationship with Him. In other words, you have to be asking Him, God, what is it? What does He have for me? And it's the Spirit of Christ speaking to you, guiding and shaping your life. He isn't just speaking; He's shaping your life. And um, usually, big words comes at they come at life's crossroads. And life's crossroads are those moments of choice that define your future and um you know it's interesting let me give you an illustration of once uh when i uh before i went i was set to go to college out of high school uh, a, uh at ucla and uh but i was very young when i graduated high school the reason why doesn't isn't that important but um my parents refused to sign off and let letting me go to, uh, UCLA the first year. And, uh, I was devastated. Um, and I was angry. And this is one of those moments where my prayers were, God, I had this plan. What's wrong with you? Why are you getting on with my plan? And, um, I, I went into a very dark mode because, uh, I then went to a, a local uh, community college for a year where they said, you're going to go there first. And one weekend, while they were away, I decided to pack up my car and get it and just drive away. Go down, get in the Ventura Freeway, and and be gone. Of course, by the way, it wasn't even my car; they owned the car. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I got I got near the um, uh, when I got near the freeway, uh, and, and I've been asking God, God, why aren't you talking to me through any of this? And uh, then I heard, just before getting on the freeway, I heard that still, small voice. And here are the exact words in my heart. His words, that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit was, if you enter the freeway and leave home, your life will never be the same. You will change the direction of your life, and it will not be for the better. He wasn't saying saying you can't get in the freeway. He's saying, but I'm warning you. And I was broken at that moment. And, and I took a U-turn back into the well of God. Hmm. And uh, had I not taken that U-turn, we would not be sitting here talking today. Uh, I wouldn't have uh, re- really remet my wife in college, got married, and, and the whole direction of our lives in every way would have been completely different. So um, that was a big word. And uh, big words, you know, it's like it's they come at the crossing the Rubicon moments where there's, there's no return once you, once you cross there. And, the, and there are a number of these situations that happen. And I think if people look carefully at their life and analyze their life, they'll realize, gee, I come to these crossroads and God speaks. And he speaks in many ways, through scripture, preaching, it might be through one of Brock's messages on Sunday morning, certainly, prayer, dreams, visions. Angels, an angel spoke to Mary, who yeah. I just, she exemplifies the greatest reception and response uh, to a big word you can hear. Yeah, may Bible.
0: it be to me as you have said.
1: That's right. Uh, those in authority over you sometimes, uh, friends, casual comments one time, uh, a critical moment for us for a big word. Suzanne and I were in Alsace uh, near Strasbourg, Uh, Suzanne attended the University of Strasbourg. We have a close relationship with people over there to this day. Um, There was a TV show, a newscast on, and a word came up, and we realized that's a word for us. Uh, And, of course, God's small voice deep within the soul. These are all different ways. But I discerned, as, as I looked at this, that there was like a pattern that was going on, the way God works in bringing direction to our life. Now, I want to clarify something here about big words big words are are those directional words coming from God at God at crossroads of life uh that doesn't mean that that the rest of the time there aren't words for us that we don't you know hear the spirit and, and respond to him but these are maybe a better word to be critical words in our lives uh but I noticed that there was a pattern and and that is the way the Holy Spirit works in bringing direction. Um, first, um, he, he prepares us for these crossroads that are coming. Um, in time and again, he prepares our lives and our hearts to hear his voice. And uh, I can see that numerous times he orchestrated my life to bring me to a crossroads, to, to that moment of no turning back. And a lot of that has to do with God's providence in our life. And the only way we can, we can accept that is from God is if we say God is good and his kindness endures forever. And he is our friend who's looking out for what's best in our life in order to advance his kingdom. And the second part is preparation is then the Holy Spirit, I notice in big words, spoke in this variety of ways at these crossroads, but the way he usually speaks to you is perfect for that particular situation or crossroad. That, that's very important to understand. Sometimes you, it can be. A,
0: yeah. What do you mean? Sorry. Are
1: ahead. you
0: saying that the way he speaks to me personally or the way he speaks in that moment is right for that moment? Both. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's right for the moment, and it's right for me at that moment. They go together, really. So, for example, when Suzanne and I got married, we're at this place called, and this is really harkening back to the old Jesus People movement. But uh, it's, it was called the J.C. Lighten Powerhouse. How's that for a- <laughs> <laughs> something? Uh, it was an old fraternity as college students that we uh, that we helped convert. You know, and became a center. And there was a teaching that night. We weren't sure what to do. We we're getting married, and um, we we heard a word uh, that day from from Deuteronomy about uh, husbands don't go off to war. First year of marriage, just aim to please your wife and care for her. Something to that effect. And um, that was from scripture. And we both realized we're not supposed to go to graduate school. This first year, the first year we're supposed to devote to our marriage. We also knew the Vietnam War was on and the draft was going. And uh, so anyway, we submitted that to God and and uh, that worked out that way. And we knew we needed to do what we needed to do. Um, So it might be a dream. It might be a a vision. Sometimes uh, in the case of Michigan, um, we wanted to go back uh to cal- move from ohio to california but um a, a man who was who discipled me he and his wife uh, uh eunice ray and eunice nethery said i really believe you're supposed to go to michigan and here's why and he laid it all out and in that particular case um it was a matter of saying okay god We're going to submit to this because the reality is, is we have no idea what we're going back to in California other than our families and all that are there. And we went when we went up to Michigan for the next six years and it changed our lives. Everything. That's what opened up everything with John Wimber. Everything. I mean, it's it's amazing. So there are these different ways that God speaks to us. But for that to work, we have to have soft hearts in which we say "Thy will be done, not my will be done. And we also have to have a good attitude toward authority. That's the other thing. I'm not saying I always had the best attitude toward authority, but if we're going to be in authority, we have to know what it means to be under authority. I've always said that.
0: You're reminding me of something that I flagged in a chapter of your memoir about right before you're moving to California. And I just want to read this quote because it felt like it was kind of along what you're talking about. Uh, Uh So I'm going to quote you to you. Quoting Richard Foster. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just going to read this. It says, Richard Foster, in the Celebration of Discipline, wrote, Submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. And then you said, that was my experience. This is freedom in Christ.
1: Yeah. And and that was really critical uh, for me. And, of course, Richard Foster was involved with with the vineyard back then. And uh, I knew Richard, and uh, this that became very important for me in my ten years with John Wimber. And it, it, was real, it was real freedom. It was real freedom. I went there to serve, and boy, I had no idea all the stuff he, <laughs> was going to open up for us. He had, he, you know, you've you've heard the old adage, "God loves you has a wonderful plan for your life." Well, John loved me and had a <laughs> wonderful plan for my life, <laughs> and it was. It was really exciting. It was great stuff. Ten, ten of the best years of my life, of our lives, really.
0: What was that interplay between freedom and submission and service during those years that you were helping John with all that writing?
1: First of all, it's a sense that as I as I submit in this situation, John's leadership, I'm submitting to God. It's God's voice, not that John was God. The other thing that's interesting is it made it pretty easy because John and I became very, very good friends because we spent so much time together. And uh, so it was it was quite easy, you know. Uh, but we, we had a couple disagreements and uh, surely. Actually, I think we had two major in 10 years, which is pretty remarkable. That's it. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. It's just, I'll go back to this. Once you get your marching orders, you go with your marching orders. And um, those were my marching orders. So there was freedom in that. I don't know what else to say. It. The other thing is, there, there you've got to be careful in that that doesn't mean a violation of your conscience at any point. In other words, if John had asked me to do something immoral or illegal or anything in that way, uh, I couldn't do it. You know, and I actually had somebody who was very important to me early, early in my life. Very important. He performed our marriage. He's a guy who really, in many ways, um, inspired me to to the ministry. He's the guy where the Holy Spirit, through him, realized I have a call. And yet he asked me to do something that that I couldn't do because it violated conscience. And so uh, I said, no. And because of that, our relationship was over. It's very sad, but, um, I still love him by the way. I still love him.
0: I get that sense of, as you're talking about him and as you're talking about your work with John Wimber, those were friendships, but it was a friendship that was submitted to the bigger friendship of hearing God.
1: That's right. A bigger, you, you know, you've seen it very well. It's a bigger friendship. And, um, I think when you know God's your friend, uh, it sure makes it easier when you, when you wake up in the morning and, and you deal with, with the good and, and then the, the tragic and the bad. And it's a fallen world. And uh, there, there are so many challenges that we all have, disappointments, uh, rejection. Anybody who's ever been a pastor, you have to deal with rejection. <laughs> you know, that goes to that goes the territory. In fact, uh, when I committed my life to Christ, I was 16 years old. Now, I think I was committed to God and to Christ as best I could before that, but when I personalized that commitment, when suddenly I knew him as my friend, mm. as my savior, as my lord, it was at a Billy Graham crusade and uh it was in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And uh the only reason I went, uh my mom wanted me to go and I said, well, I can't go alone and so a buddy of mine had played first base on my baseball team uh, as a baseball player uh, named Norm. Uh, he came with me. So we go to the Coliseum, and September 8th, 1963, there were 134,254 people in the Coliseum.
0: To be exact. That's, um,
1: <laughs> that's the, No, that's the exact number. Wow. It's the largest number ever to be in the Coliseum. And there were another 20,000 outside. Where where Billy Graham's message is Hmm. being piped. So over one hundred and fifty thousand people. When he started to speak, he was speaking only to me. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, it was one on one. God through Billy to me to God, and uh, it it it's like an aha moment. I am a sinner. I know it. I know I don't measure up. He's the bridge. That's why he died on the cross. That's why every week when I repeat the, the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, created heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, um, who was uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, descended in Hades, the third day rose again from the dead, and, and, and ascended to the right hand of the Father I, every week. And suddenly, that's the bridge. Aha! I can know him, and I knew him, and he and he was instantaneously changed, instantaneously changed. Well, there were so many people in the Coliseum, you couldn't walk forward the way you'd always do at a Billy Graham crusade. Usually, there'd be an altar call; they call it. Uh, I so I just stood up, and when I opened my eyes, I was a different person. Hmm. I turned and I immediately looked to Norm, and I said, "Norm, why? You know, something like why are not you standing? This is the." this is it. This is eternal life. And he mumbled something about, well, uh, I didn't want to get a bunch of mailings and uh, no way. And, you know, our relationship was never the same after that. Within 10 seconds, the cost of what it means to give your life to Christ came to me. Hmm. And I thought, well, if he's my friend and we're going to walk together through this, it means that uh, there's some that simply won't accept it, or, and because of that, will not accept me. That's part of the deal.
0: Yeah. It's like you've had these twin themes of the friendship with God and the cost of the friendship woven together in all these places of your life.
1: Yeah. If your listeners don't come away with anything else, it is friendship with God comes with the unbelievable benefits of eternal life, of purpose for living here on earth. Of, of, of being called to live what I call an unimagined adventure with him as, as he moves you through the various crossroads of life. All those things. But also there's going to be testing and hardship and rejection. And uh, the two go together. And, uh, well, I guess it's entering into the sufferings of Christ. That's yeah. what we call it.
0: As you kind of have spent all this time looking back over these years as you've been writing this. um, What do you feel like God, your friend is saying to you now?
1: Well, that's a very good question. Um, We're going to be celebrating our 75th birthdays here Mm -hmm. coming up. And um, what, what God's saying to me now is, uh, are you communicating the grace of God, eternal life, what it means to be in union with Christ and all the benefits of that to the next generation. And, uh, that's what God's speaking to me now as best you can speak to the next generation. The reason I wrote this book is because I really wanted to be like, well, this is a story of God in me, but this is how God works. And it can be a story for you in the same way. It'll be your story. Uh, But God, as your friend will take you through all these, these unimagined adventures. It won't be easy. uh, And it certainly won't turn out the way you think it will, but you can live this way. Communicate that to the next generation. For me, obviously it's my grandchildren, uh, but also, uh, to, uh, pastors and leaders. And so, and I'll just do that. You know, it's interesting, the Levites, they would uh, serve from what the age of 25 to 50, and then they were retired, quote unquote, but they weren't retired. Uh, they would serve the Levites as doorkeepers and they would serve the next set of young Levites that were coming up. In, in encouraging them, uh, lifting up their arms, doing everything they could to help them. That's my job now. Mm. That's my job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I often ask as we finish people to pray for somebody listening. Could you pray for somebody who's on the other side of getting started with God, that other end of that spectrum, and is just starting out on that pathway?
1: yeah well Father in heaven, I thank you that uh, I thank you that, that you care so much for everyone that you've died for the sins of the world and that you your plan is good and uh, that your kindness is so great. And I pray that for those who are just at the beginning of this journey or even just considering this journey as they listen uh, to this little testimony today, I pray that you would show yourself to them in such great intimacy and kindness and gentleness that you have a wonderful, wonderful plan for their life. And that it's not their plan, Father, it's your plan. And it's even better than anything we could have and choose for ourselves. And uh, Father, I pray for those that are beginning that that have made that step that are already experiencing resistance, that you would just use today's uh, talk to encourage them in the fact that they're on the right track if there's immediate attack and resistance uh, from the world or from friends or from family or whatever it might be, uh, that, in fact, that's just living proof that you're in them and that and that, uh, that you have something much better, the kingdom of God for them. And so, give them courage. Give them the courage and help them to get up and take a shower and put their clothes on and get out there and live fully for you. And may there be no looking back, brother. I also want to pray for Connie. I thank you for Connie. I, I, I thank you for All Saints Community Church, um, for Pastor Brock, and for the great work that that is going on there. And may you bless them uh, as they as they just take steps of faith and courage and risks with you big risks with you in advancing your kingdom and cause and in fulfilling that calling on their life to make more christians and better christians and it's in christ's name i pray amen
0: amen that's all for today's episode of kingdom life we've been talking with kevin springer I'm Connie Willems, and I'm delighted to have had you with us. You can find Kevin's books with John Wimber in our resource center if you'd like to. They're called Power Healing and Power Evangelism. There's also the book Power Points. If you'd like to learn more about All Saints Community Church, visit us at allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC.